0: Uh, The author of The Astonishing Grief is a Thing with Feathers. He's the second most beautiful man in the world. (laughs) And uh, it's a great pleasure to invite him back, welcome him back to Medicine Unboxed, Max Porter. Peace. My stranger is a tree, growing naturally through all its discomforts, trials, and emergencies of growth. It is green and resolved. It breathes with anguish, yet it releases peace, peace of mind, growth, movement, It walks this greening sweetness throughout all the earth where sky and sun tender its habits as I would yours. It's a poem called Green Madrigal by Lynette Roberts, which I've used at the beginning of this book, which Sam has kindly asked me to read to you from. I'm going to read you one aspect from the beginning of the book, which is a friendship. It's a friendship between an old man an artist and his name is Pete and a young boy whose name is Lanny Uh, it's a platonic friendship and it's a pedagogical relationship in as much as Pete is teaching Lanny art he's been asked by Lanny's parents to teach the boy Uh, they are being watched both by the village they live in by their own suspicions, by the suspicions of the place where Lani is growing up. They're also being watched by a mythical figure who may or may not be real. And they are also falling in love. Uh, Not in a sexual sense at all, but there are erotic things involved. Uh, The jouissance of connection, of empathy, uh, the rush one feels when one is understood, both as a child and as an adult but also physical things, the tactility of paper and chalk and paint and clay of art-making. Pete. We commence our lessons. We are indoors because mile-wide slabs of rain romp across the valley. Pallet knife smears of bad weather rush past the window. Two chairs pulled up to the kitchen table, snug. Snug. Fire on, Radio 3, two pads, two pencils, a tumbler of juice, a mug of tea. Lanny, my friend, look at these pages. Don't you feel like God at the start of the ages? You could do anything, so go, I said. Draw me a man. What man? Any, any, just a person, something human. I tossed a little coin in my head between tree and man, and it landed man. So let's start with that. His shoulders roll over Writes slightly higher as his arms hug the page and he starts to scratch away with a soft hum-cum whisper of half words and trickling bits of melody, concentrating. He's not a rusher. He scratches his head, sits up and slides the drawing over, furrowed brow. Right, let's look. Yep, I'd say that was a man, all right. Nicely done. Now let's talk our way around him a bit and see what's what. What? The grimace of concentration is gone, and Lanny's face is wide open, curious and listening. His eyes are like a spring hornbeam, a very fresh green. Right, Lanny, where do your arms come out? You've got this bloke's arms coming out the side of his body. What do you reckon? We turn sideways and spread our arms. Two aeroplanes at my kitchen table, Lanny smiles and nods down to his shoulder and then starts a new pair of arms emerging from the right height, not out the poor bastard's centre. Now the head, Lanny, might I ask you to consider your own self and see if there's anything between your head and your chest? He grins and points to his neck, feigning discovery. We laugh, we're pleased, we chink drinks and raise a toast to the better-looking image of a man. Long after he's gone, after that first lesson, I sit and think. I try and recreate the noises young Lanny makes. His part-song chant. I suppose it's a TV theme or pop song I don't know. Maybe it's just Lanny taking things from wherever he's been listening, soaking up the sounds of this world and spinning out threads of another. I wait... Breeze-obedient balls of dust and fluff huddle in the corners of the kitchen. I remember how grey I felt in the busy days when the work was selling suddenly, when people wanted things from me all the time and knew my name, London. And I feel my way back to before that, to days of clarity like this, to being a boy. I remember an elderly lady once showed me my own drawing of a man and asked me to consider where... Anatomically speaking, my arms began. That lady is a long time dead. English seasons roll out of bed. Pete. I hate the smell of metal, Pete. He mumbles as we sit, dangling legs over a chalky ledge up in hatchet wood. The village is a cruciform grid with the twin hearts of church and pub in the middle. 400 people sheltered from the fields, clinging to each other for warmth. Red brick boxes in the outlying farms, the big house, the timber yard, a handful of scruffy agricultural blemishes on the green patchwork skin of this area. If you look at this village from above, and if it was a man, then his hair would be hatchet wood, and we'd be sitting right on top of his brain, the smell of metal scares me, he says. Then I am a child again, smelling my palms. Blood iron, coins, nails, and pins. War men with bullets and rusty hinge grins. The smell of metal lingers on my lips and on my fingers. My father would have me count his coppers on a Sunday. This memory swings like a heart dirt rudder, then slips up with a boom and a crack and catches the wind. Clap, Lanny, I say. I hate the smell of metal. I despise the smell of metal on my hands. Why do they call you Mad Pete? I don't know, mate. I don't think my covering all the trees up by the cricket pitch with plaster of Paris after the great storm did me many favours. Anyway, I don't mind it, Mad Pete. Better than Bad Pete. Or Sad Pete, says Lenny. Well, yes. Isn't fair, though, really, is it, given how fucking, excuse my language, given how insane some of the folk in this village are, like Jean Coombe. Exactly! She wears a Santa costume every day of the year and carries a golf club in her wicker basket, and no one calls her Mad Jean. <laughs> Pete. She asked if I could do her a favour, if I could pick him up after school from his mate Alfie's house on Chalkpit Lane, Robert was away on business, trebling invisible fortunes, or whatever it is, he does. Alfie's mum, Charlotte, is one of those health and safety types, and she regards me as smelly and dangerous. She surely googled me and knows I was once famous for filling a gallery with painted wooden dicks. Her life insurance policy is probably more expensive due to the dangerous proximity of creativity to her neat detached house with underfloor heating and wipe clean walls. No offence intended, Peter, she said, not inviting me in. But I think I should just check with Lanny's mother. She's in London meeting with her publisher, I said. I am instructed to feed Lanny and drop him home at bedtime when his father will be home. Oh, I'm sure that's right, Peter, but let's check, shall we? Yes, let's, I said. I shan't lie. I developed a powerful dislike of Charlotte in the time it took for her to go and phone Lanny's mum and then bring Lanny to the door. Coat, shoes, rucksack, see you Alfie, see you, Lanny. Not because of her security measures so much, but because of the framed Renoir reproduction she had in her hallway. (laughs) I can usually see a way to understand terrible things. Satanic worship, decaffeinated coffee. But Renoir's portrait of Madame de Bonnier? No. It cannot be understood or forgiven, and framed in gold plastic and spotlit from above. <laughs> no offence intended, Charlotte, there's not a chamber of hell hot enough for a woman of your taste. <laughs> Later, we are polishing off jacket spuds with cheese and beans, talking about trees. We agree, Lanny and I, on the beach, an English totem. I've got a tree book, he says, and I looked up Copper Beach, Fagus Sylvatica, and it said, grossly overplanted. I think I know the book you were talking about. The Collins glove box thing with the snooty tone. Yep, I have that book. Ignore him. Highfalutin' bollocks. Highfalutin' bollocks. Keep that to yourself, boy. (laughs) Pete? Yes, sire? Do you believe in dead Papa Toothwort? Hmm? Do you think he's real? Well, no. Well, yes, inasmuch as he's real if people believe in him, Lanny. So yes, just as mermaids or spring-heeled Jack or the green children of Woolpit are real if people have thought about them and told stories about them. He's a part of this village and has been for hundreds of years, whether he's real or not. Yeah, but Will's brother Hugo says he's seen him climbing over their garden fence, a man made entirely of ivy. I might take that with a pinch of salt, Danny. He swings his legs and chants, Say your prayers and be good to your dead, Papa Tooth, is coming for you? He lives in the woods. I believe in him. I've seen him. I changed the subject. I'll tell you something interesting that you may already know from your reading. The bit of a tree that draws up nutrients. The most vital living part of a tree is actually just under the surface. So a skin wound, a minor whack with an axe or an arrow or a chainsaw, can do a lot of damage to a tree, to its living operations. It grows around that damage. I know what you're going to say, replies Lanny. Oh, you do, do you? He stands up and stretches to the ceiling, ribs and tum reaching like a sweet pea for the sun. That humans are just the same. Pete. She dropped him down, which was unusual, as he'd been coming whenever he fancied it, popping in and out. She sent him into the garden and sat down opposite me. She was stern she asked if I could stop telling Lanny frightening things, ghost stories. She said, Robert asks, well, we, we ask, well, Robert, Robert asked, well, you know, he's a little boy. I said, I hate to break it to you, but Lanny's the one telling me frightening things. I know, she said, but the school tells us he's been writing the strangest stories. We've got dark stuff and behaving quite oddly. And a girl in year five complained he put a spell on her. Oh! <laughs> It's not funny, Pete, I know, but come on, Lanny's good, different, Lanny's bloody wonderful. If some stuck-up cow thinks he's a wizard, then so be it. She can give him a bad review on classmate.com. Really? A pox on every test and standard and criteria of normality that Lanny will flummox in his long and glorious lifetime. No? She laughed and put her nice face in her hands. Thanks a bunch for your help, Mad Pete. I'm glad we had this chat. (laughs) She got up, patted my shoulder, and took her leave. So that afternoon, I strenuously avoided ghost stories and focused on teaching. He took very well to watercolour painting. Very well. I can't be much asked with watercolour painting, but Lanny had a good feeling for it. Could guess at absorption and pigment's unpredictability in ways that impressed me. He knew without instruction how to use the brush for taking away as well as putting on. You can lick that, I said, if you're in a hurry. Suck it clean if you need to quickly undo. Doesn't taste bad, but not that lead white. That white's poison. He looked at the little tube... How much white would you need to eat to die? Not a question I can answer, Lanny. A shit-ton. There'd be quicker ways to kill a person. Just don't lick the brush when you've got white in it. We'll all avoid prison, good lad. (laughs) We wandered out to paint the lightning tree on the other side of Dog Rose Common. He traipsed along, his backpack jangling with water pot binoculars, snack bar, Ribena, we chatted about football cards and the little plastic fighters he'd swap with his mate, and the general Lanny-esque stream of conversation flowed forth, philosophical mutterings and bits of tune all mixed up with standard child babble, and suddenly I smelt spliff. Sticky, rich and green over the airwaves. Lovely smell. In the bus shelter as we passed, there was the Henderson boy with Oscar what's-his-name from Yew Tree Cottage, and they were passing back and forth, a joint as big as a church candle, a floppy, knuckled, badly-built thing, and my word, it smelled nice. We nodded as we passed, and I raised a hand in greeting. Oh, Weirdo! Coughed one of them, spluttering into giggles. We walked on. I was a little stuck for what to say then, and Lanny asked, Do you think they were talking about me or you? And I shrieked with laughter then because for some reason I found that stupendously funny. And Lanny was saying, what? What's so funny? We trampled down the dog walk path towards Hatchet Wood again and it was ever so beautiful. The thick wall of green between the common and the wood bursting with life. Clematis clambering through and over it, a properly paintable riot, the yarrow glowing up a bit, the blackthorn and the maple all hugged up together, foxgloves leaning out like thin beckoning arms, and I was still wiping tears of laughter from my eyes, and considering how surprising it was, me an old man, tail end of a good career but a mainly lonely life, finding such a good friend in this little kid. Lanny's Mum I can't sleep, Robert's breathing sounds like a small door catching the carpet. <laughs> Click, scuff, somebody enter. Click, scuff, somebody leave. I usually sleep well. The village is tight and muggy tonight. When I was very unwell, when Annie was a baby in London, I read all sorts of things designed to scare young mums about cot death and crushing. Choking and allergies, flat skulls and bent backs, damaged eyes and bad milk. And one night I woke up and Lanny wasn't breathing. And I accepted it. I accepted it easily. It was the middle of the night and I was thirsty and I'd forgotten my lines and the duvet was boiling and I'd been dreaming about that film where the man in the barn pretends to be Jesus. Jesus. The streetlights were toxic yellow through the curtains, and the baby had died. I lay very still. I didn't touch him. I didn't scream. I didn't move or wonder where Robert was, or panic, or cry. I lay still, and I could think clearly. It's over now, and you can have yourself back, I thought to myself. This tragedy will probably be the story of your whole life, but it's your life, and you can sleep forever and ever now if needs be. You've won sleep and lost fear. No more, baby. I remember that night, and I strangely cherish it. Robert farts and rolls over. An owl makes half an owl's noise. I'm comfortable in my bed, in this house, in this countryside. I remember a bit of a prayer or a lyric about passing unharmed through fate's unkind embrace. Thank you. Thanks.